Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm so glad that you could be with us here this morning as we continue on in our series called We Are All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To. And in this series, we've been covering some pretty heavy topics from stress to depression. Last week, Kurt gave a really good message on depression. And if you happen to miss it, you could always go back and listen to that on our podcast. But this morning, we are covering the topic of fear. And fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous and likely to cause pain or a threat. And to some extent, fear is actually a good thing. Sometimes it keeps us from putting ourselves unnecessarily at risk. If I was swimming in the ocean and I saw a shark fin through the water coming towards me, I would get out of the water because I don't want to mess around with any sharks. So to an extent, fear can be okay, but there's also fears that are irrational or crippling, and that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Whenever I think about fear or talk to somebody about different kinds of fears, there's some common fears that always come into my mind, and usually the conversations go like, what's scarier, this or that? So just for fun this morning, let's take a poll on what you think is scarier. And I have some slides up here on the screen. So between snakes and spiders, how many of you think spiders are way more scary? Just a few. All right. Put your hand up if you think snakes are scarier. Same as first service. I got to admit, spiders creep me out. All right. This next one here, between heights or confined spaces? Now, I'll say, if you ever want to entertain yourself, if you look up unstable ladders on the internet, there's some really entertaining (laughs) pictures there. So how many of you think fear of heights? Like, all right, how about confined spaces? Looks like you're pretty close. Last one here. Clowns or family reunions? (laughs) Now... Be careful which one you raise your hand for if you have any family in the room here this morning. How many of you are scared of clowns more than family reunions? How about family reunions? Wow, okay. I see. Yeah, next, next Sunday maybe we'll preach a message on reconciliation or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but how many of you could look at all those scary kind of things and then maybe think, I'm not really scared of any of those. I don't know about you. But for most of my life, I thought I just wasn't scared of anything. I had that tough guy mentality where I would even chase after snakes and try to catch them. I would climb up any ladder, no matter how high or unstable it was. And so I would think, yeah, I'm not scared of anything. But I want to challenge that mentality a little bit and say that deep down inside, I think a lot of us really do struggle with fear And most fears, not all fears, but most fears could be boiled down to the fear of rejection or the fear of failure. And for me personally, I think I struggle more with the fear of rejection. I've got this deep down fear that somebody that I love will just walk out of my life. I've got this fear of hard conversations. If anybody shoots me a text and they're like, hey, give me a call when you get a chance, there's something I need to talk to you about. My first gut reaction is like, oh, no, this is a bad conversation. I'm thinking I'm going to lose my job or find out that somebody is upset with me. And so 
this can be a controlling fear in my life because it kind of leads me to be a people pleaser. If I don't want to be rejected, then I do everything that I can for people to like me and make sure that nobody is upset with me. And so the fear of rejection is real. There's also the fear of failure. I don't know about you, but I like to do things that I'm good at. When I do things that I'm good at, I can just take some satisfaction and a job well done, and I have this sense of security in knowing that everything will just turn out just right. But it's so hard to step outside of our comfort zones and do something that we're not used to doing because it opens up the possibility of failure. It can be hard in, in moving to a new place or starting a new job where you go from being that guy who, who knows what you're doing and you're good at it to being the one who's at the bottom of the totem pole or doing that on-the-job training, learning new skills. And so that can be pretty scary. And then you, maybe you struggle with the fear of failure in parenting or you're, you're scared about how your kids will turn out. And with each stage of raising a kid, there's different challenges that come with that. I don't have kids. I don't know what that's like. But I'll admit to you, like, little babies scare me the most. Like, they're just so delicate, and I don't know what to do with a crying baby. So that's pretty intimidating. But no matter where you're at this morning, whether it's struggling with fear of failure, fear of rejection, or, or maybe something that I haven't even mentioned, we can be encouraged to go to God's word and to see what God says about overcoming this fear in our lives. So if you'd like to follow along with me, we will be in the book of Judges in chapter 6, talking about a true story about a man named Gideon who really struggled with fear of man and the fear of failure. So you can turn to Judges chapter 6, we'll be in verse 1, and also have it up here on the screen for you to follow along. So this will give us a picture of just how bad the situation is that Gideon and the nation of Israel are going through here. So it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. It did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. I'll stop right there. <clears throat> so this part of the story is about 250 years since Israel moved into the land that God had promised to Abraham. And this whole predicament that they are in is pretty much their fault because they had this special relationship with God. They had a covenant or an agreement with God where God told them, all right, as long as you worship me and me alone and obey my commandments, then you will be blessed in the land and things will go well for you. But if you worship false gods and rebel against my instructions, then I will send foreigners into your land to punish you. And so these Midianites are the people that God is using to punish the Israelites because of their sin. 
And the Israelites went through this for seven whole years. Now, when I think about this scenario and, and what it has to do with fear, I think about like a group counseling session going on here. And we're all sitting around in a circle. We have some Israelite people in that circle. And we're sharing just what some of our fears are. Maybe somebody would say that they're afraid of snakes. I would say that I'm afraid of somebody that I love just walking out of my life. And then an Israelite person would say, well, <clears throat> I'm kind of afraid of a bunch of really bad men riding up on their camels and burning my field to the ground. All that food that I'd been uh, counting on for winter would be gone. And then I'm afraid that those same guys will then go on and kill all of my animals and that maybe they'll burn down my house and I won't be able to protect my family or even provide for them. And all of a sudden... The fear of snakes doesn't seem that bad. But wherever you're at, maybe you're not, your fears aren't quite as bad or as serious as that. Maybe they are. But no matter where you're at, we can look to God's word and be encouraged that we can take some steps towards overcoming those fears. And so this morning, the first step that I want to look at for overcoming our fears is to focus on who God is and who God says you are. So we'll, we'll break it down a little bit and look at the first part of that, who God is. We'll go to verse 6 that says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So God didn't send the Midianites to oppress the Israelite people just because God wanted to make life difficult for the Israelites as if that was an end in itself. But God put them in this whole circumstance so that the Israelites would cry out to God and realize their need for him. And so this is exactly what happens. The Israelites live under this for seven years and they recognize their need for God. They call out to God. God hears them and he sends them this prophet to give them words of comfort. And this comfort is all about who God is and what God has done for them. This prophet is talking about how God delivered the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. God sent 10 plagues on the land of Egypt to prove to the Egyptians and the Israelites that God alone is the one true God and that he had chosen the nation of Israel to be his special people. And then when the nation of Israel went from slavery and finally made it to the promised land, God helped them to drive out the wicked people who were already living there. And God had this special relationship with the nation of Israel. Oftentimes, when somebody I know is going through some really difficult things, and, and I want to be able to encourage them and just tell them, hey, Things are going to be okay. Just wait, on, wait a little bit, and it'll all shape up. Everything will be just fine. 
I think, oh, that would be so encouraging. But the reality is that I don't know the future. I don't know for sure if things will shape up just fine. And there's always the possibility that things could be worse. And so that's probably not the most comforting thing that I could tell somebody who's faced with fear or hard times. But what's even more comforting than that is to look to who God is because who God is does not change. And God says that he will never leave nor forsake you. And from scripture, we know that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And we can cling in who God is. So we can take steps towards overcoming our fear when we focus on who God is. And the other part of that is we can focus on who God says we are. In verse 11, we'll continue reading. This is the part where we're introduced to the guy named Gideon. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Aborazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This angel of the Lord that appeared to Gideon is later identified as God himself. Except Gideon didn't realize it right from the start because God himself is here in the form of just any old man. And the most ironic part of this story is God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. He's saying, hey, mighty warrior, to a guy who is threshing wheat in a wine press because he's hiding from the Midianites. So just to give you an idea of what a wine press is like, it's basically a basin that would be filled with grapes, and then whoever had the cleanest feet would walk around in the grapes, turn it to grape juice that would trickle down into a lower basin. And Gideon's not threshing wheat in here because it's the most ideal place to thresh wheat. Uh, This would have been secluded and possibly even in a cave. And so you think about what a mighty warrior is. That's not the picture that we get of Gideon here. He looks more like he's scared, that he's timid, that he's hiding. And so the question we could ask is, why is God referring to Gideon as a mighty warrior? I mean, is he just teasing Gideon? But I think it's because... God doesn't just look at who Gideon is right there in that moment, but looks at the kind of man that Gideon will be, and that down the road, Gideon will be a mighty warrior. And even if that's not the case now, and I think it's God's specialty to take people who are, are weak, maybe flawed, they don't have things all together, and those are the kinds of people that God uses to accomplish great things for his glory, so that at the end, 
It can't be to the credit of the person that God used, but to the work of God in them for the victory. And Gideon recognizes that he's not really a mighty warrior. He recognizes that he doesn't have a lot of strength in himself. And so when God says to Gideon, all right, go now in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, Gideon's not thinking like, oh yeah, I got that strength. I got this. Bring it on. Instead, in verse 15, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I think Gideon is right. He's not the strongest. He doesn't have it all together. From the world's perspective, he might not be the man for this job. He's not what you would think of as a mighty warrior. But God calls him a mighty warrior. God says, go in the strength that you have. That strength that Gideon has really is not his own strength, but the strength of God. And God is telling him that he will not be left alone, but God is with him every single step of the way. And I think that, that we would also do well to, to focus on who God says we are, because oftentimes we can get caught up in some negative self-talk and telling ourselves a narrative that is unhelpful or untrue. Maybe we tell ourselves things like, this is just who I am and it's the way I'm always going to be. Or I'm such a failure and I'll never get it right. Maybe you label yourself things like weak or helpless, unlovable, insignificant. And, and I don't want to just give you a bunch of motivational fluff just so you can like, hey, be happy and walk out of here. But I think that we can all take steps towards overcoming our fear when we focus on who God says we are. And it's not motivational fluff to say that you are loved by God. In that song that we just sang, it said, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And your identity and knowing that God loves you, that you are not forsaken, and that even when you are weak, God is with you. You might not have everything all together, but we're all a work in progress. The Christian life, I think, is impossible in our own strength, and that's why we need God working in us. And so that's the hope that we can hold on to when facing our fears. And one more um, way or step that we can take towards overcoming our fears is to do something scary for God. And what I mean by that is live in obedience to God even when it's scary. Because I think sometimes God puts us through situations and circumstances that will either feed our fear or fuel our faith. Feed our fear or fuel our faith. So let's think about that as we read about this next part of the story here. And we'll jump to chapter 7. Chapter 7 in verse 1. This is the part of the story where Gideon agrees that he will take up God's calling and take on the Midianite army. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, 
And all his men camped at the spring of Herod, at the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. And so 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. This is a pretty crazy part of the story. God's saying, all right, you have too many men because if you win against the Midianites with such a big army, then the Israelite people will probably say, we won that battle because we had a big army and a bunch of strong guys fighting on our side. So God is saying, I will give you the victory, whether you have 32,000 men or 300 men. And so God gives these instructions to Gideon to shrink his army down. And now, up until recently, I haven't really thought about it like this, but God wasn't the one who necessarily shrunk Gideon's army. God gave Gideon these instructions to shrink his army, and Gideon had to take those steps of obedience to God to do that. And so Gideon's army goes from 32,000 men all the way down to 300. Now, I've never put an army together. I don't know what that's like or just how high the stakes are to do something like that. And it's kind of hard for me to just wrap my mind around it. So I was thinking about this whole scenario in a little bit different way. So what if God came to you and said, I'm calling you to be a missionary in India. And since you're so devoted to God, you say, all right, God, I will go to India for you. And it costs about $40,000 to live in India for a year. And you raise support for a year and you put together $32,000. Now, it's not $40,000, it's a little tight, but you're like, God will provide. I think I can make this happen. And then God comes to you and says, whoa, $32,000. You have too much money. I want you to learn to trust me and to know that I will provide for you. So go ahead and take $22,000 and give it to the local church. And so if you're obedient to God, you take that money and you give it to the church. And now you're left with $10,000. You're thinking, oh, I'm even tighter than before. I don't know if I can really make it. And then God says, $10,000? Well, that's too much. All right, here's what you should do. Take that money and give all of it, but $300 to the local soup kitchen. And so if you're obedient to God, you 
take that money to the soup kitchen and you're left with $300 to live in another country for an entire year. I mean, it's hard to live for one week with $300. And so if you were in a scenario like that, at what point would you be like, whoa there, God, nope, too scary, I can't do that. I wanted to do this great thing for you, but that's too far. I mean, I think at like, take away $2,000, I'd be like, nope, I can't do that. And so when Gideon lived in obedience to God, when he took that step, I think that it fueled his faith in God. And we can do the same thing. When we live in obedience to God, even when it is scary, it can fuel our faith. And maybe you know the right thing that you need to do, but you're just feeling a little bit held back by fear. Maybe it's a hard conversation that you need to have with somebody. Maybe it's confronting someone or speaking truth in their life. They're making some decisions that are hurting them or hurting people around them. Or maybe there's somebody you know that you should really talk to about Jesus or invite them to church, but you're just being held back by fear. Perhaps the next step that you could do to do something scary for God would it be to give your money sacrificially to God. It's easier to give your money to God when you have a little bit left over. It is really scary to set aside money for God in the first place when your budget is tight and you don't know if you can pay for the bills. Or maybe some of your next steps could be to get baptized or to become a member of the church. Just some things that maybe God is calling you to do but you're being held back by fear. And if you take that step towards obedience to God, then it can help fuel your faith. And the last step that I want to talk about this morning when it comes to overcoming the fear in our lives is to worship. Worship helps move us from the fear of man to the faith in God. And throughout this entire story, God gave Gideon examples and signs time after time again of God's faithfulness and showing that he will come through for Gideon. And I just want to take a moment to look at this last sign that God gave to Gideon. So we will be in verse 9. It says, during the night the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples had settled down in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. 
He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. And I think that this is the first time we can be confirmed that Gideon really is afraid. God gives Gideon this condition, like, all right, if you are afraid, then go down to the camp with your servant. Well, Gideon goes down to the camp with his servant. So I think that Gideon is afraid here, but what he hears encourages him because I think that this is actually a low-key miracle. I mean, Gideon goes down to this camp and he hears this dream and this interpretation. And these guys are talking about Gideon like he's their next-door neighbor. Like, oh, yeah, that's Gideon, the son of Joash, as if they know him. But they wouldn't. And so when Gideon hears this, he knows for sure that this is God speaking through these people and that God will indeed give them victory in the morning. I think one of the most funny things for me to think about is these guys talking about the dream and being like, yeah, it's all about Gideon coming to wipe us out tomorrow. I'm like, oh, cool dream. Let's go to bed now. <laughs> I don't know how that really went, but either way, God worked through that whole situation and encouraged Gideon so that after hearing that dream and the interpretation, he got up and the first thing he did is he worshiped God. He praised God for his faithfulness and everything that he had done and everything that he would do. And then Gideon got together his troops and got ready for battle. And I think that we can take steps towards overcoming our fear when we worship God. And we can worship God through just reading his word and being reminded of who he is and all that he has done. We can worship God through just talking to him and praying throughout the day. We can worship God by coming to church and singing songs of praise to God and hearing teaching from his word and living that out during the week. And we can even worship God by coming to small groups. If anybody comes to me and is like, hey, this is a situation I'm going through, I don't know what to do, oftentimes I pull a Kurt Goglin and I'll be like, are you in a small group? And I think small groups are great for getting that kind of stuff in the middle of the week. And I think when we take those kinds of steps, they can help us to overcome fear in our lives. And as we kind of get to the conclusion here, I just want to present you all with a challenge. A challenge that if you take this on, I really do think that it will help you to focus on who God is, to focus on who God says you are. I think it will help you to live in obedience to God throughout your day. I think it will help you to worship God and have a heart of worship throughout your day. So here's the challenge. The challenge is to listen to Christian music for 30 days. Nothing but Christian music. And, and I'm not going to like go on a rant about music, but I, I do want to just say I think that what we put into our minds is really important. And listening to music is like listening to a mini sermon. And so what do you want to choose to put into your mind throughout the day? You could listen to mini sermons about partying on a Friday night and somebody else's breakup, or you could be putting into your mind truth about who God is and who God says you are. And there's plenty of different genres of music that you can listen to that can fill your mind with truth, and you could be listening to Christian radio as well. And if you're just looking for a place to start, I just want to make a resource available to you, and that is the Bridgewater 
playlist that has all the worship songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. And if you have Spotify and you want to get connected with that playlist, you could just pull out your phone right now, go to the camera app, and scan that QR code. And I'm not saying you have to listen to only Bridgewater music or only worship music or anything like that, but it's just a challenge to spend 30 days to fill our minds with hope and truth that can help us to overcome fear in our lives. And so with that, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we do not have to be overcome with fear. I thank you that we can uh, just reflect on who you are and to know your faithfulness, that you will never leave or forsake us, to be reminded that you are our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And God, um, wherever we're at this morning, I ask that you would help us overcome our fear. And I think for a lot of us, uh, maybe what we need to do is just recognize the fear in our lives, to see it for what it really is and to take the initiative um, towards overcoming it. And God, I ask that you would help us to do that, um, that we would not feel like we have to do it alone, that we would look to you and to um, other believers who can come alongside us for the way. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.